0: Good morning, South Potomac. Good morning, South Potomac. Good morning. Let's try this. Praise the Lord. Praise all right. All right. It is a great day to be in the house of the Lord this morning. Amen. Amen. We're going to be continuing our, our series this morning on faith that works. Over the last several weeks, Pastor Dave has been presenting a message about faith coming from the book of James. And so we're going to continue. In that series on on today, we're going to be looking specifically at James chapter 4. And just to give a slight recap of what has been talked about over the last few weeks. Pastor Dave started with James chapter 1, verse 1, and just really broke that scripture down and talked about getting started with faith that works. And so Pastor Dave helped us understand that, okay, well, this book of James is really targeted to Christians. The book of James is, is, really a, it helped, it is really meant to help believers get a better understanding of what God expects of them or of us. He talked about how James was, was a servant, and so he, he helped us understand the importance of, of being servants and, and serving other people. And then he continued in the same chapter, and he talked about facing trouble and temptation. And he talked about recognizing the source of temptation, understanding where the various temptations come from. And then he also helped us understand in this book how we can overcome temptations. And so James understood that all believers, all Christians are are tempted from something. And so he he was making sure that we understood, okay, don't be fooled. You are tempted from something, but here's a way that you can overcome these temptations. And so he talked a little bit about that in the first chapter, and then he went on to continue and talked about the, the, the word of, of, of God and the place for the word of God in your life. And one of the scriptures that he used, it, it talks about being quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. And so he was cautioning Christians that, okay, I know the tendency is to have a quick response when somebody is talking to you. But I want you to understand the the importance of of listening and and the fruit that comes from listening. And so James kind of wrapped that chapter up by talking about about the importance of listening and the fact that we have to have teachable spirits as Christians. That no matter how long we've been saved, no matter how long we've we've been in this, even the disciples directly under Christ constantly had teachable moments. And so he reminded us as believers that it's important for us to continue to, to, to learn in order to help us grow. Then he continued with the next chapter. He talked about facing favoritism. And he talked about some of the challenges that, that Christians have of, of having their favorites and creating these, these, these groups and you know kind of isolating other people. But he talked about the importance of making sure that we, we, we see everyone as children of God, that we don't isolate folks, that we don't say, okay, well, they've been going here for a certain amount of p- time, so I'm going to go ahead and kind of gravitate to this group. No, he was saying you have to be cautious with, with showing favoritism because showing favoritism is really close to discrimination. And so he was cautioning the believers to make sure that as Christians, we're not discriminating, knowing that discrimination is not just something that one race does against another race, but it's something that sometimes happens in the body of Christ just by picking favorites. And so the, the, the text in James, he actually talked about if somebody comes in to the church looking a certain way that we don't automatically assume, oh, because they, 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 they really look good, that we automatically escort them to the front. And that if somebody else is dressed a certain way, maybe maybe looking a little bit dirty, or whatever the case is, that we don't automatically assume, well, they're not worthy to be in the house of God, so they can just go ahead and have a seat on the floor. And so James was cautioning us there not to, to show favoritism. And then he continued in the same chapter of Faith That Works in chapter two, he continued to talk about dynamic faith. And Pastor Dave, he used this great analogy about how, when, when, when sports fans, and he specifically talked about college, uh, college athletes, but with, with sports fans, how when their team is, is about to win, then all of a sudden they, they, they start using certain words like, oh man, I have faith in my team, we're going to get it done, I believe we're going to, and so he was making the distinction to say, well, you know what, you can have faith in just about anything you want. But there's a difference in having faith in the things of the world and having saving faith, which is what's going to get you into heaven. So we talked about the importance of having that dynamic faith. And the way that you can see that the faith is so dynamic is that the faith is going to come from inside of you and it's going to cause you to do certain works. It's not going to be something that's just contained something that you just have up here and inside your heart, but it's actually going to cause you to do something works. And so he was illustrating just to say that, you know what? If somebody is hungry and I don't do anything about it, what good is that faith? And so it's important to make sure that my faith ties into my actions, that faith and work go together. It wasn't to say that you are saved from what you do, but it is to say that because you are saved, it should cause you to do something. And so that was the dynamic faith message. And then Elder Rob, a couple of weeks ago, he went ahead and presented the message about taming the tongue. And remember, James is talking to, to, to Christians here. And so he was saying that, you know what? The word of God says that there is life and death in the power of the tongue. And that as Christians, we have to be careful of what we say to people especially to our brothers and sisters in Christ. And Pastor Rob gave some points. He said, you know, that the tongue is going to direct where you go. The tongue is going to help or hurt what you have. It can destroy things. And so James was was being careful to make sure that Christians understood that we have to be careful and watch what we say. And then last week, Pastor Dave talked about wisdom concluded chapter three talking about wisdom and he said you know wisdom true wisdom it comes from God wisdom comes from heaven now you can get knowledge on earth but the dangerous thing about knowledge is that you can get so much of it that it can puff you up it can cause you to think that you know everything and so this chapter on wisdom is really helping you understand look True wisdom is going to come from God, and it's going to come from God, and and it's going to come with the right motives. It's not going to be something that you just have built up inside of you to prove that you know something better than somebody else. But it's going to be something that you apply, faith and works going hand in hand. The wisdom is going to be something that you apply to help other people. And today, we're moving right along to go into James chapter 4, and we're going to talk about the word of the world. We're going to talk about the word, God's word, about the world, and we're going to talk about God's word for the world. So let us pray. Father God, in the name of Jesus, Lord, you've taken us down a, a, a great journey in this book. And so, Lord, whatever it is that you're going to want your people to hear today, God, I ask that we're all able to receive it this morning. God, speak to us clearly. Help us with our walk. Help us with our growth in you, God. Lord, help us be different, set apart from the world based on your word, God. And so I thank you for that right now. In Jesus' name, I pray, amen. Being citizens of this this world, we kind of have this dual citizenship. You know, once you get saved, you're you're a citizen of heaven, but you're still here on earth. And so you have this dual citizenship going on. And when we're out here in the world, there are certain rules and regulations that we have to operate by. We're, we're, We're expected to operate based on the world's rules. And sometimes, to me, the world's rules just do not make sense. Sometimes it it, it just just doesn't add up. Sometimes I just don't get it. And I'm required to to function in the world. There are things that I still have to do. I still have to give Caesar what Caesar's, but at the same time, I must admit that I don't understand everything that's expected of me in this world. There was a story a few years ago where somebody ordered a cup of coffee, a hot cup of coffee. They received a hot cup of coffee. Now, if the coffee that they received, if they received it cold, they would have had a problem. If they received that cup hot or warm, I should say, then they would have sent it back. So they got this cup of coffee, and it came back to them hot, just as the way they ordered it. You can see the steam coming out the top. They went ahead and drank it, and it burnt them. After they got burned, they were so upset by the situation that they went ahead and sued the company that gave them the coffee. not only did they sue, they actually won. So hold on. What you're telling me is that I can ask for certain things, I can respond a certain way, I can be responsible initially for a situation and then if it doesn't go my way, then somebody else can be at fault for it. Or just the opposite, sometimes... I can be at fault for my own actions. It, just based on the world's definition of things, sometimes it just doesn't make sense. How am I supposed to know which way that these things are, are supposed to go? As an employer, if I'm supervising people, I have a job vacancy. And I'm interviewing all of these candidates, and candidate one is underqualified. there is the potential that I can get sued for not hiring the underqualified person because they can say I discriminated against them. No, I I, I didn't hire you because you were underqualified. But on the opposite hand, if someone is overqualified in this same world, the overqualified person can't get the job either. The thought is that this overqualified person is too qualified, which means they need to be looking for something else that fits their capability. Never mind the fact that the world's economy, based on the world's rules, the world's economy has started to crash. It has impacted everyone. And never mind the fact that they can't find employment, but they found something that they can do, but because they're overqualified, they're not allowed to do it. Sometimes it, it just doesn't make sense. I, 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 I enjoy working out. I, 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 I go to the gym, there are things I, I, I do at home just to make sure my kids don't beat me up. And I have friends that, that exercise and that, that they're into it, but these same friends they drink alcohol whenever they want in abundant amounts. They smoke cigarettes. But when it comes to eating, their diet, they don't touch pork. <laughs> they're okay with alcohol. They're okay with cigarettes, but they're not going to touch pork. I tell you, sometimes it just doesn't make, make sense. There was a man that received some time in prison for fighting dogs. Fighting dogs is an egregious act. It's, it's something that, that, that shouldn't be done. It's, it's downright inhumane. But this gentleman received over a year's time in prison for fighting dogs. Then you had someone else within the same profession kill someone while driving under the influence of alcohol, and you know what they got? 30 days of house arrest. Sometimes it, it just doesn't make sense. I can be talking to a group of friends look like me from my background. And I can approach them in a certain way. Now, I wouldn't do this, but I'm just saying I could do this. I could use a certain word to talk to my group of friends that come from a similar background as me. But if someone else from a different background has the same motives and the same intent, approaches this same group, trying to be innocent about it, if they try to use the exact same word, it's gonna be a problem. It sometimes just doesn't make sense. And you know, my wife, she is an attorney. So she wins all the arguments at home. (laughs) And as an attorney, I have to admit, I do not understand the legal system. I do not understand how you win in court. You see, there can be court cases where somebody has tons of evidence mounted up against them for something that they did. The evidence points to them being guilty, but because someone else did something similar in a totally different state, slightly different circumstances, they got off. All the attorney has, all the uh, attorney has to do is just say, "Well, you know, in the, the case of such- and such versus such and such, and then this person can get off. Never mind the fact that the evidence says that they might have done this, but the perception of the situation for another court case can change someone else's outcome. It just sometimes, it, it, it just doesn't make sense. And so we have this situation in society and in the, in the world where things just kind of go around on a curve. We don't know how the curve is going to go, if it's going to be in our favor or against us. But like my, my, my friend Frank says, I'm so glad that God grades on the cross and not on the curve. So jumping into chapter, chapter four, a brief history of, of where we've, we've been when James is just identifying some of the issues in the world and just things that go on. First in chapter one, verse 27 He says, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. And in this situation, he's he's talking about the world system. Keep yourself from being polluted by the world. And then he continues in chapter 2, verse 5. He says, listen, my dear brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him. And so he's talking about the, the world of men there and he, he builds up to get us to, our, to, to where we're trying to go today. He moves over to chapter three, verse six. He says, the tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole person sets the whole course of his life on fire and is itself set on fire by hell. And so he's talking about this, this world universal, just how everything gets impacted by the tongue. And then in chapter 4, he's looking at the worldly church. The scripture says, what causes quarrels and fights among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You want something, but don't get it. You kill and covet, but you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and fight you do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. Verse 4. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred toward God? Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think scripture says without reason that the spirit he calls to live in us envies intensely? Verse six, but he gives us more grace. That is why scripture says God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts. And remember, this is James talking to the church. You double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. What causes fights and quarrels among you? In the body, And so James is recognizing the fact that there are a whole lot of issues going on in the church. And we have these external struggles that go on. And the external struggles are a direct relation to the internal struggles. The external struggles are simply just a symptom of what's going on on the inside. Or similarly, when there are issues going on in, in the church, it's really just a symptom from what's already been going on. In the world. And so James kind of addresses that. He says you desire but do not have. He's talking about unsatisfied pleasure. You desire but you do not have. When is the last time you had strong desire for something and you got it and it completely satisfied you? I told the church last service that one of my favorite holidays is Thanksgiving. And my family, we're we're blessed where we have options of of what we can eat at Thanksgiving. And um, man, it makes it a great day. And after we pray, we try to let the, the women and the children eat. Because once the D gets in line, it's on. And so I have my plate and I'm loading it with with the variety. Macaroni and cheese, sweet potatoes, rice, little gravy, string beans, you name it. I don't eat the pork. (laughs) But I'm loading it up and I sit down. and that unsatisfied pleasure has kicked in and I'm eating. And after I've cleaned that plate, you know what I do? I go get some more. <laughs> Cuz my pleasure my pleasure really wasn't satisfied. And even after I've eaten a second plate, I'm going straight for the dessert. <laughs> And then once I've eaten myself into a near coma and I'm wobbling and I have what they call the itis, I'm ready to go to sleep. You know one of the first things I think about when I wake up the next morning? Leftovers. (laughs) It's that unsatisfied pleasure that that just gets us. And so similarly inside the church, James is saying, you know what? There are things that, that, that go on. I have blessed the church. I have done things for you, but sometimes it's just not enough that the pleasure just hasn't been satisfied. And that's the direct relation to the influence from the world. He says, so you kill, you covet, but you cannot get what you want. He's dealing with uncontrolled passion. You kill, you you, you covet, but you cannot get what you want. James is reminding the church that this has been an issue that's been going on for centuries. David's uncontrolled passion for Bathsheba caused him to kill her husband. Ahab's uncontrolled passion for a vineyard caused him to kill. Judas's uncontrolled passion for money caused him to steal. You know Judas was responsible for collecting the offering and it caused him to steal because he had this uncontrolled passion for money. The Jewish ruler's uncontrolled passion for power caused him to kill Jesus Christ. And so what James is, is trying to remind us is that if we're not careful inside the church, the uncontrolled passion could cause us to do Damage to the body of Christ. So much so that it can cause us to kill. And it shows us it's happened before. And it can happen again if we're not careful. Then it goes on to say, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. God. And what he's really dealing with here is this, this untapped potential. Where some believers that, that, that James was talking to back in the early church, not too long after Christ had already, had already been there. So you can imagine what it's like in 2014. He's saying that this untapped potential, people have stopped going to God, asking God for things. And so we don't go to God, even though God has proven himself to be faithful countless times. We've seen how when Jairus, when his daughter was sick, and she was about to die, how how Jairus simply asked God, please heal my daughter. And because Jairus asked, it was given to him. The word of God says, ask and ye shall receive, seek and ye shall find, knock and it will be opened to you. But here it says that you do not have Because you do not ask God. That the body of Christ has somehow forgotten the basic tenet of asking God for things. And so as a direct result, there's untapped potential. That that God has made everybody to be great once he's accepted them. Once we've accepted Christ, he's, he's made all of us to be great. Ephesians 3.20 says, now unto him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. So he's already designed each of us to be great, to do great things. But there's that untapped potential because we have somehow forgotten that in order for us to do great things, we have to ask God for it. And so James is bringing that to to our memory. He says, when you ask, you do not receive. So first you had some that, that didn't do it because they weren't asking God, and then there are some that do ask, but he says you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures or on those unsatisfied pleasures. When we're asking God for something, when we're coming to God, when we're, we're, we're coming to his throne, we're supposed to be praying, which is a form of communication with God. But he's saying, you ask with wrong motives, and so I'm not even answering those prayers. When we come to worship God, it's supposed to be about honoring him. That's a form of communication with God. It's about honoring him. And so when we come to that worship, God is expecting us to worship him in spirit and in truth. And that truth is simply saying that you have to come to me with the right motives. That's the only way I'm even going to honor your sacrifice of worship. And so James is is reminding us here that whenever we come to God, it has to be with the right motives. You know, I remember when I was younger, going to church was, I mean, it was the thing to do. Now, I didn't go to church because I was raised Muslim. But going to church for my friends, going to church for my family, it it was the right thing to do. Some X number years later, we're here today. Going to church is no longer the right thing to do, according to the world. The world used to frown upon folks that didn't go to church on Sunday. The world would shut areas down on Sunday. I know at least when I was growing up, liquor stores were closed on Sundays. Now you can find liquor stores open on Sundays. The world's influence has made the church the place not to go. And so those same folks that have have stopped going or the same folks that that, that James is talking to that do go, he's trying to make sure that we understand that if we're going to be in this thing, we have to have this faith of our own. It can't be borrowed faith from our parents. It it can't be borrowed faith from, from our community or what's left of the community. That this faith has to be something that we've established, this dynamic faith, this saving faith, it has to be something that we've established for ourselves. You know, to the to the to the world, the, the, the church is 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 simply like a hotel. It's is 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 no longer a home. To them, the, 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 the church is simply an organization. It's, it's something that people form, it's something that people do from time to time, as opposed to being a living organism that helps people grow. To them, the church has become something that's temporary as opposed to being a place that is looked at as a temple, a place that I go in reverence, a place that I go and honor God. It's just something that I do temporarily on on Sunday morning before football season. It's simply a brick as opposed to being a bridge that is going to help us all get from this world to heaven. The world simply sees this as, as a, being a place for a confessional, you know, okay, I, I, there's some things that I've done, I, I have some prayer requests, um, I already know that God is not going to answer them because I'm coming to God with the wrong motives, and so this is a place where I've come to simply confess my sins, as opposed to being a place that is seen as the cornerstone. It's a place for emergencies as opposed to being a place that's going to help you get to eternity. It's a place for funerals as opposed to being a place for fellowship. It's a place for weddings as opposed to being a place for worship. The church has become a place that inspires singing as opposed to a place that inspires sanctifying. To the world, the the church has become a place where you simply go as opposed to being a place where it's going to help you grow. And so James is trying to give this warning to, to Christians that, listen, if we're not careful, the, the unsatisfied pleasures that are fighting within us, the uncontrolled passions, the, the untapped potential, the unanswered prayers, if we're not careful, it's going to cause the world influence to totally take over the church. When I established the church to be a light to the world, the world's darkness has influenced the behavior of the church. And so James is getting real serious, he's getting real deep and nevertheless, he, he still provides an answer for us, he provides a fix. And he starts with verse 6. He says, but he gives us more grace. That is why scripture says God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. But he gives us more grace. That is why scripture says God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. In order for us to, to fix this situation where the world's influence has completely taken over the church, according to to, to to James. God's inspired messenger. The first thing that we have to understand, looking at verse seven, he says, submit yourselves then to God. That we have to relinquish this control that we have over our lives. I know we're grown. I know we're independent. I know, you know, We have the the authority to do whatever it is that we want to do with our lives. But at the same time, God said, I bought you with a price. And so if you want to be better than the world, if you want to do great things in this world, then I'm going to need you to relinquish control of your life. I need you to submit yourselves to God. Then he goes on to say, resist the devil. And he will flee from you in verse 7. Simply resist the devil. Because the truth is, we all have to operate out there. And out there is completely influenced by the devil. Those things that don't make sense, well, the devil is the author of that confusion. And so it's really up to us to resist the devil so we can get away from that craziness. Still being able to function, but not being influenced by it. Verse 8, he says, come near to God and he will come near to you. And that's simply saying restore worship to a priority. James said, look, I know you're human. I know you're going to have those struggles. But if you restore worship to a priority, then you can come to God openly and ask him for anything that it is that you need. Because it is through worship that God hears your request. He continues, he says, wash your hands, you sinners, purify your hearts, you double-minded, in verse 8. In other words, renounce the sinful actions and, and reject the sinful attitudes. Helping us understand that it's important for us to stay true to the truth. That the world's influence is going to make you think that right is wrong and wrong is right. And the world's influence is going to make you think that you have to tolerate the behaviors of the world. But no, reject the sinful attitudes is what James is trying to help us understand. You might want me to be tolerable or tolerant of your sinful attitude, your sinful behavior. But how about you be tolerant of where I stand on this sinfulness? And so James is telling us, look, you can be out there, but you don't have to act like them. He says, change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Meaning refrain from a a frivolous attitude toward evil, understanding that this evil is serious and that we have to refrain from just like, oh, it don't matter. It does matter. Because if we're not strong in it, then the world's influence is going to take us out or it's going to take out our children. It's going to take out our loved ones. And so he's saying, look, refrain from just having that nonchalant, I don't care attitude. This thing is serious. He continues, he says, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. So as you're becoming successful, respond humbly. Don't nobody like somebody that, that just has this, this big ego going on. But that's the way the world will approach it. Like, oh man, I did this. This is all about me. No. As the Lord lifts you up, respond humbly towards that success. And he continues in verse 11. He says, brothers, do not slander one another. In other words, refuse to slander your brother or your sister. There are so many people That have stopped going to church, not just because of the world's influence, but because of the world's influence inside the Christians. And so those Christians in the church have influenced them to stop coming to church. Because they've made a mistake, and since they've made a mistake, I'm going to go ahead and talk about them. I'm going to destroy their name. And so James is like, man, our Lord and Savior came here to to give us something to build upon. That's why he said, on this rock, I'm going to build my church. I'm going to continue to to build this thing. And while I'm trying to build it, if you continue to slander your brother and sister, then you're trying to chip away. You're trying to destroy what I'm trying to build. And he says, refuse to slander your brother. And then finally, in verses 13 through 17, he says, now listen, you who say today or tomorrow, we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money why you don't even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast and brag. All such boasting is evil. And that's why he reminds us to to, to be humble when we hit that success. Anyone then who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it, sins. And so reposition yourself to make the changes now. My brothers and sisters, this can be done. The God that I serve told me that greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. And so we have the opportunity to be change agents out in this world. I don't care what elections are taking place. I don't care what other people think or how other people act. That God has given us the ability to take this world by force as long as we're willing to do it. And so with that, I I close in prayer and I simply just say, God, Lord, I need you. Oh, how I need you, God. Every hour, I need you. Lord, please help us be stronger in our walk. Please help us resist the temptations of of the world's influence, God, and allow us to be that light that changes the world. God, please help us. Please give us that faith that does work and not just a a, a stale faith. But but please help us back it up in action. And so, God, I thank you for that on this morning. Please continue to encourage us and give us great word so that we may be overcomers in in this life. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen.